Hi, my name is Liam Galvin and welcome to another edition of British Gangsters. I'm here with my co-host Yvette Rowland and we're going to do part two of Mad Frankie Fraser. So for those of you that didn't listen to our first episode, Where Have You Been? But I uh, just want to say that we have made lots of documentaries, true crime documentaries over the years. So we thought well, it's time to put them into a podcast. Now, this second episode, we follow Frank still in jail. I mean, he was there a long time, wasn't 40 he? Years, 40, 40 years, 40 years. But he did come out sometimes and he told us what he was up to when he came out as well. So it's not just inside. But we're just following on from the first episode. Yeah, so um, we obviously covered a lot of time when uh, Frank was inside and his uh, difficulties in the prison system. We're continuing along that theme with all the altercations he had with prison officers um, and, and beatings that he took in, in Durham. I, I almost think he, he he was the type of a person that seemed to, I'm not saying enjoy the beatings, because obviously he didn't, but he, he loved that conflict, didn't he? I think he liked the challenge to see if he could beat the prison officers didn't he that, uh, yeah. that was what it was about and then uh, and the big challenge for him was to try and beat uh, psychologically the prison governor wasn't it yeah absolutely and in this section I think it's a really interesting historical piece in this section where he talks about uh, attacking the executioner Albert Pierpoint uh, on the morning when uh, Derek Bentley was due to be hung now, this is a very famous story. Uh, there was a movie made, Let Him Have It, and what it was about was that Derek Bentley, he didn't actually shoot anybody. No, no it, he was was, it was his accomplice. It was his accomplice. only 16, I believe. Yeah, so it was really two teenage boys. Now, Derek had the mental age of 10, and uh, basically the argument was when the policeman asked for the gun back, supposedly Derek said, let him have it. Now, the argument in court was, was he saying to his friend who was 16, let him have the gun back? or, as the prosecutor said, no, he was saying, let him have it, which meant kill the policeman. So that was, that yeah, was the absolutely. dichotomy, wasn't and, it? Yeah, actually, the, the jury uh, wanted mercy uh, for Derek Bentley, but mm -hmm. the judge apparently had no choice within the law at the time uh, but to say that he should be executed. So he was executed at um, 19. I thought, what I found really interesting about uh, Albert Pierpoint, who was the execution, ran in his family, didn't it? Yeah, he had. His dad was an executioner. His uncle was it Uncle Tom uncle was an Tom. executioner. Yeah, yeah. And he, he actually executed his first, the first person. He was 27 years yes. old when he, he had his first, I don't even know what, how you'd say it. No, I mean, 450 uh, I think executions he did and he, he kicked off really by uh, doing all the uh, Nazi war criminals. I think he executed over 200 na Nazi war criminals uh, and was, was also famous for um, hanging uh, Ruth, Ruth Ellis. Ellis. Yeah, which yeah. was a tragedy as, as, as well depending on how you want to interpret it. Um, and so, and the yeah. only reason he stopped the mm -hmm. usual was yeah. the usual, an argument over money. Yeah, he didn't think he was being paid enough or being yeah. respected enough, so he packed it up and went to run a pub. As you uh, do. Yeah, and uh, I imagine the Sunday lunches were pretty good. Oh, Went with gosh. a swing. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. So, so we're going to hear Frank talk about uh, terrible beatings that he had in Durham, uh, also the Derek Bentley story, and how he uh, started a campaign of burning prison officers' houses. So it's over to Mad Frank Fraser. I had been down the punishment block, and down the punishment block, same as the ball store, you had to have a cold shower every day. But once a week, you was entitled to a bath, but not down the punishment block. You couldn't have one, just a cold shower. And when I come up from the punishment block, I've been down there about three weeks, I asked the officer, could I have a bath? He said, why don't you have one before I told him about the punishment block? He said, you can go up and have a bath now, don't be long. Up I went to the end of the wing, 
and the wars on 1941. Around above, throughout the war effort, they painted a red line so you could only have that much water. Anyway, he kept coming in, this prison officer, Nippy Hurst his name. Come, hurry up, Fraser, have that bath. He wore little shorts then, and the towel he'd give you was like canvas, you slid off your butt. This other prison officer kept coming in. His name was O'Connell, called him Holy Joe, because his theory in life was to punish the body and save the soul. But actually, he was kinky in my That word didn't exist then, but now he kept coming in. Come on, Fraser, have that bath, hurry up. Oh, little shorts on, drying myself. And all of a sudden, right out of the blue, I swore. And he gave me a terrific punch. Bosh! And lucky it ran, I was a very fit young kid. Nothing of me, a fag paper would have been proud of me. I was on him. And I slung him in the bath, and I tried to drown him. Well, you had more chance of winning the lottery. There was only that much water in it. And he's screaming out for help. He's knocked him unconscious. In seconds, I'm joined him. I'm unconscious. That's when I was charged with gross personal violence to the officer, O'Connell, and got sentenced to 18 strokes of the birch, 15 days number one diet, 42 days number two diet, and PCFO, penal class, until further orders, and 14 nights, no mattress. Particular difficulty with officers at Durham Prison. What were they like? What happened? They were ferocious. 1953 was a riot at Wandsworth Prison, and I was immediately transferred to Durham. And when I got there, one of the worst beatings I've ever had. They literally slung the Wandsworth Prison officers out in the reception, and they were all lined up. And a big burly prison officer behind a Charles, old Charles Dickens desk, open desk. In name, Francis Davidson Fraser. In name, in his Geordie voice, he wanted me to say, sir, no way. And as he said it again, I just managed to get one punch in, and that was it. They really done me then, really. Later on, I'm over the hospital, the doctors put 27 stitches in me head. And he's gone to the sink to put some old-fashioned cat gut that you had in then. And while he's there, a prison officer is doing me with a wet towel right round the face. Bosh! He just looked over his shoulder at the doctor. <laughs> and then come put more stitches in. And the one who done me with the towel, about three years later, he was nicked for murder, killed his little daughter. You attacked Albert Pierpoint, the hangman, when he was going to hang Derek Bentley. And that was right. Yes, that's true. January 28th, 1953. I was on Brimwater on the punishment landing at Wandsworth, E1. It's the punishment landing now as well as then. On E2 is where the condemned cells are and the execution cell. And I used to go sick every morning. And if you went sick then, the custom was that your bed was allowed in your cell, in the punishment cells and all, till the doctor come round. And he normally wouldn't come round the punishment cells till about nine at the earliest in the morning, but most probably 10 or after. So when they come in with me lump of bread and water, I'd be in bed. Fraser, get up, he said, no, I'm sick and they'd have to wait on me and give it to me. Curse, you could hear them cursing. I really enjoyed it. 
But what I forgot, on the morning of an execution, you go over to the hospital to see the doctor. And about eight o'clock in the morning that very day, January the 28th, my door opened. I'm in the strong cell on E1. The punishment cells at once were for E1, then and now. Door open, there's one prison officer. When, it, when you're in the strong cells, there should be at least two or three. Because of the execution, the prison is a famous one. There's already crowds outside demonstrating against it. Fraser? I said, yes. He said, you reported sick? I said, yes. He said, well, the doctor will see you over the hospital. Wait at the end of E2 landing. I said, what end? The hospital end or the centre end? If he'd have said the hospital end, you wouldn't hear the rest of this. He said, no, the centre end. And the centre end meant the hub of the prison, where all the wings jut out from the centre. A wing, B wing, C wing, D wing, E wing, F wing. Up I went, and two other prisoners joined me, one called Patsy Lyons, doing four years for GBH, and another one called Spiro, doing three years. I don't know what for. I knew them both well. We were the only three prisoners to report sick, as they'd done their best to discourage anyone from going sick on the morning of an execution. We were waiting there to be taken over the hospital, and out of F-wing, where all the officers were, F2, come Pyrrhipont with two burly prison officers. One called Jack Manning, big man, about six foot two. I didn't know the name of the other one. I was only doing three years. I already lost about nine or 10 months of my remission. Only got a couple of months to lose. I went straight at him and slung punches, everything. They jumped on me, the prison officers, other prison officers arrived. The two prisoners who were with me didn't join in with me, but shouting out plenty of words of encouragement. Go on, Frank, go on. And I kicked the door of the condemned cell. I'll never forget it. And said, God bless you, son, God bless you. Know you're innocent, know you're innocent. And the next day, I was on report for assaulting a servant of the prison. As he wasn't a prison officer, he'd be called a servant of the prison. Piripon and got more Brem water. Many, many years later, I was on a TV programme, a sort of like a Kilroy one, and Crystal Rose, she was the presenter, a girl, very nice girl. So Teddy Taylor was on it with me, who's an MP for a constituency in South End, the chairman of the Young Conservatives, people like that. And what I've just said, I said in detail on the show, a bit more. Afterwards, I was invited up into the green room where you could have a glass of wine. And then I knew that Derek Bentley's sister, Iris, was on the show with me and the daughter of the last woman to be young, Ruth Ellis's daughter. I went up to Iris and said, please forgive me, Iris. I didn't know you was in the audience there. I most probably may have upset you, speaking about your brother, the memory of him and that, you've been fighting for him. Said, oh no, Frank, you've made my day. To know my brother knew he had a friend, right at the end, slung her arms round me and kissed me. 
it's one of the happiest moments of my life in that sense. So in your own little way, sometimes you do do a bit of good. When you were out of prison, you carried out attacks on prison officers' homes. Tell us about that. Yes, I did. I bombed all the prison officers' houses. Wandsworth, Painterville, Brixton. The one I let myself down, I didn't get round to Wormwood Scrubs. But the General Secretary of the Prison Officers Association, Christmas 1963, I think, I found out where he lived and I was going to bomb that. But unfortunately, it was impossible. One of the regrets I have in life. So that was Frank uh, with his altercations inside with the prison officers. We're going to actually move to now where Frank is outside Actually, prison. yeah. I, and I, it, was, it might be a short piece, but it still <laughs> is just as interesting, isn't it? Yeah, he had lots of uh, altercations with many, many different uh, people. One, of course, was uh, Eric Mason, who we also interviewed and comes in um, in the programme, in our, our programme that we did for Sky, uh, where he was attacked with an axe. He was attacked with an axe uh, by Frank and as Eric put his hands up to his head to protect him, himself the axe went through Eric's hands so literally pinned his hands onto his head now Frank insists that he dropped Eric in front of the hospital he said he had something like 270 stitches but Frank said he had over 650 I think mm. so it was a horrific axe attack and uh, and Eric Mason a very quietly spoken very villain. quiet we actually went to visit Eric in yeah. prison didn't we yeah we did and, and, and he probably was in his 70s there he'd been mm. got back into prison on, on another charge uh, which he denied but uh, an interesting man and we'll be hearing about him uh, in later episodes Frank's also going to be discussing uh, Mr Smith's shooting where Frank uh, got shot and, and there are Different versions of this, aren't there? Yes, we did interview John McVicker, and John McVicker gives a completely different story to what Frank gave, doesn't he? Yes, it? and actually, fact, we're in episode three of this mm. series, we're going to do part three of, of Mad Frank, but also John McVicker, where we're going to be listening to the interview that we did with John McVicker mm. about all of that, so that don't miss that episode. No, because John didn't do many interviews at all. Yeah, we've got he, some funny stories about yeah, John McVicker, haven't really we? really funny stories, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and also in this section, Frank's going to be talking about turnmills, where he got shot outside turnmills. He maintains that it was um, the police that shot him. Mm -hmm. uh, John McVicker gives another story. Exactly, and he says that the only reason that his life was saved that evening was because his girlfriend, Marilyn Wiz who was the daughter of train robber Tommy Wisby? Yeah, yeah. Uh, literally held him back. So again, you don't want to miss a, ve a very interesting story. So here we go. Here's Mad Frank talking about the shootings and the axe attack. Well, I'd been down the Astor Club. A fight was there occurred between two ordinary people. Nothing to do with me in any way whatsoever. The police were called. I quietly paid, paid the bill and I left. And when I was outside in Barclay Square, waiting for my car to arrive, Eric Mason come up and said, wait till I tell Ronnie and Reggie you started that fight. I said, what are you talking about? And he carried on in this vein. Uh, in the world I was in, that was a very serious thing to say, especially when it was nothing to do with me in any way at all. So when our car arrived, I just kidnapped him, slung him in, and took him to Atlantic Machines, and set about him with an axe, and dumped him outside a London hospital with his fingers on his head like that, and the axe right the way through, stuck into his head. I soon the police 
and the hospital authorities ever since to get me axe back. If I bought in Wolves, I wouldn't have minded, but it was a cracker I bought in Harrods. He said he, he, had, he wrote a book, he said he had 380 stitches. Not true, he had over 800. He went to see Reggie and Ronnie when he came out of the hospital after four months complaining. They gave him £10 each and slung him out. You, you were shot in Mr Smith's Club in Catherine in 1965. Tell us about that. A row developed in Mr Smith's Club and Eddie Richardson went on the dance floor and had a fair fight with Peter Hennessy. Eddie knocked him down, said, you had enough, Peter? He said, no. Let him up, carried on. Unbeknown to us, Peter Ennis's friends had sent out for two guns to be smuggled in. And Dickie Hart pulled out 45 and shot two friends of ours who were there with us. I managed to get near him and slung a terrific right-hander at him. And then with the other hand, went for the gun, pulled it down, but he managed to shoot me in the fire and me left line, sm smashed the fire bone. The police alleged I got the gun off him and blew his head off it, blew his head off with it. Well, naturally I did. I ain't going to shake his hand, am I? And I'm nicked for murder, but fortunately was found not guilty. It was wonderful. Lovely fight, though. John Wayne would have been proud of it. Guns, knives, bottles. Yes, it's true. I'd been out for a drink at eight o'clock in the evening with Marilyn, Marilyn Wisby, Tommy Wisby's daughter, and we'd come out of the club about four in the morning. We hadn't been there all night, we'd been in other places, to get a cab. And out the blue, this undercover cop come, boom! and shot me here. Marilyn saved me life. I suppose if I'd have been sober, I'd have been dead, because I'd have really felt it. But having had eight hours of good drink, it, I went for where the flash come from, and she pulled her arm round me neck and pulled me head back and shouted out, you bastard, and the next two shots missed. And he got in the car that was there and got away. The next day in the hospital, they were all armed police round me bed. I said, look, you've already shot me once. Well, you're going to shoot me here? They disappeared. They never asked me who'd done it. They never took a statement off me or off Marilyn either or anything. And if anyone goes in hospital like that, the police are duty bound to take a statement of them. And if they refuse, they'd call a doctor and a nurse to confirm it. I said it in a book, Bad Frank, Memoirs of His Life of Crime. I put it all in there. I've said it on radio, television, newspaper, magazines. They've never denied it. They've never admitted it either, but they've never denied it. It was a great night out, though, I must admit. Uh, so that was Mad Frank uh, talking about all the shootings and uh, very entertaining, I thought. Uh, interesting. Um, he did like a conflict. I mean, he had a conflict with us, didn't he?
He did have a conflict with us. Um, we uh, naively uh, or stupidly, depending on what way you look at it, a uh, bit of both, uh, what we did was if Frank told a story and we found people who were still alive who could actually give a different opinion on that story of what yes. had gone on, we thought to give a programme balance, mm-hmm. you have to have the opposite opinion. It was stupid. Obviously. It was very stupid, yes. Yeah, Frank didn't like balance. Frank no. liked Frank and what Frank said <laughs> went. went. So uh, basically he did call us up when... We sent over the programme for his approval and we had various voices in there, Dave Courtney, John McVicker, Albert Redding, who they had a particular uh, conflict mm, with. Eric Mason Eric discussing Mason. how he was attacked with the yes. axe by Frank. Frank didn't like it, did no, he? No, he didn't like and, it. And uh, no. he said, son, he said, if you don't change that, he said, I'm going to burn your house down. Now, I did say stand your ground, <laughs> but uh, you uh, went straight up the stairs and you re-edited, didn't I you? I said, whatever you want, Frank, whenever you want yeah. it. Absolutely. So, uh, God bless Frank. Um, so, we're just going to end this programme where Frank talks about his dentistry skills and did he kill 40 people or not? Because he said he liked round numbers. And we're going to be back next week with part three which is the final part of the mad frank fraser before we move on to many other villains oh my goodness we have got a library a library of villains and a lot of it you will have never heard before and sadly because a lot of them have passed you'll never hear again yeah it's almost like they're historical pieces or hysterical depending on (laughs) that's you (laughs) um so uh and and in next week's we're going to have john mcvicker's take on mad frank fraser yes and because we were really fortunate uh to get into conversation with John McVicker, he became a, a very, very well-known journalist and didn't like to talk about his past. So the fact that we were able to go over there and actually have a chat with him, you really don't want to miss this. Yeah, an actual fact with John McVicker, and we will talk about this in, in next week's programme, uh, we did spend a lot of time with him and even went away to, where did we go? We Longleat. went to Longleat. Uh, yeah. We were guests of the Marcus of Bath. Yes. Uh, John McVicker and his wife, Countess of Valentina. Yeah, no, she was interesting character Mm. but there you go so loads of stuff to come on uh, next week's episode but the final word uh, in this episode is over to mad frank fraser there goes around a story well come out of the so-called trial that i allegedly pulled a guy's teeth out with pliers i only wished it had been true because at least when i was doing me 20 years wouldn't have been lovely lying in my cell I'm going, oh, what a good job I made of that back molar. A newspaper report said that you killed 41 people, presumably that was incorrect. Well, the police say I've killed 40 people, not 41. They'd have said 41, I'd have really been upset. I hate odd numbers. But they say 40, and they want to say that it's a free country, I won't argue.